0: This is an Odyssey Original.
1: This is the last K X in depth. I'm Rob Arch,
2: And I'm Charles Feldman. The entire state of Maine on edge. As a suspected mass shooter is still out there, nowhere to be found. We will go in depth.
1: The kids in California probably need to see the dentist more. We'll tell you why. And our final guest, somebody you're probably familiar with. We don't want to give it away right now because it's a surprise. But he's never been afraid of saying what's on his mind when it comes to politics and beyond.
2: We start with the mass shooting in Maine as the suspected shooter still on the loose. Denise Brodeur lives in the outskirts of Lewiston. She is a real estate broker who owns Legacy Realty. Denise, thank you for being with us.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: This, I would imagine, well, actually, you know, I can't imagine, must be the most intense, uh, scary, and frustrating time for all of you folks who live in that area. You have been on a virtual lockdown now for two days, right?
0: That is correct.
2: Tell it's us about it. Go ahead.
0: Since yeah, since Wednesday evening, in fact. How are you taking it? Well, it's um, very sad and extremely scary it feels so unsafe and we always say if it can happen here it can happen anywhere because we have a small community but there's such an emptiness even though i didn't know any of the victims that they've uh placed their names on the news there's such a heartfelt emptiness that we share my husband and i and our family too our hearts are just broken, and we're just sad for those who's lost, who's lost loved ones. It's like a piece of our own hearts have been taken.
1: You know, I I can't even begin to imagine uh, the way it must feel of of living your life in an area where that kind of thing just doesn't happen close to you, but then suddenly it does. And not only that, but did you kind of feel like? you could be in the line of fire because it's such a small, close-knit community.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it makes you wonder, can I go to the restaurant after this? Can I go to events? Uh, These places were common areas that regular folks used to go to. The bar and grill and the spare time recreation for bowling. I mean, great places to to hang out, see the young ones play and bowl, and even the oldies, too. And uh, Schmengi's was a great place to play cornhole and pool. I've never been, but my children, they're grown, of course. They have been many times. And it's just a safe and a comfortable place for people to go to after work and meet friends.
2: Were you born and raised there? Yes. You are. I I mean, are you even entertaining thoughts of perhaps moving now?
0: No. Um, No. This is our community, and our community is always banded together. Um, It's large enough. There are about 36,000 people. However, we have such close ties, and we have such good friends. There are such wonderful people that live here. People that uh, we've made friends with uh, in our business, and we've got family here. So no, I don't think we'll ever leave. We'll vacation outside of Maine, but we'll never leave our home.
1: We talked to another resident uh, yesterday who who said that in that area, a lot of people. Uh, have guns, carry guns. Uh, they use them for hunting. Hunting happens a lot in that area. Uh, do you think that might change? Do you think people's feelings about uh, having and using a lot of guns for hunting or, or whatever they wish to use them for might change?
0: Well, something needs to change. However, um, it doesn't seem like the red flag laws help at all because what they are just a reaction to an action that was committed. Um, so it's a temporary thing. They take the guns away, but the action has been committed. I don't think that's going to help. I really don't. I think it goes a little deeper than that. I think where we have to start is with HIPAA. And HIPAA is it's at the hospitals, it's at the doctors, and they do not – let people know about other people's medical issues. Whenever there's a gun that's pur- purchased, there should be a background check, but there also should be a mental health check. And this is where HIPAA has to change their laws so that our government or uh, whatever the, the, the people are that can do this is to be able to review The mental health issues, especially with this man, Mm. he was in a mental institution, he came out, and he should have been flagged, and not the red flag, but there's something that has to be done. But I don't think it starts with the red flag laws. I think it it has to start with HIPAA. We have to stop making large magazines.
1: All right. Uh, Denise uh, Brodeur, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Certainly very tense time for you and all of your friends and family in that area, the outskirts of Lewiston.
2: With Halloween approaching, kids will be eating lots and lots of candy. Of course, all that sugar, it's just terrible for the teeth. There's a recent national survey that finds California is one of the worst states when it comes to kids with rotting teeth and cavities. With us is Beverly Hills Dentist, Dr. Manaz Rashti. Doctor, thanks for being with us.
3: Thank you for having having me.
2: So how bad is it with the kids?
3: Well, it's certainly a problem that I see and I notice in my office every day with my teens and older patients. is It's on a rise. You see a lot of cavities that it used to be much less than that now.
1: Uh, so what do we do about it? Uh, do we convince kids they really got to brush their teeth? I kind of feel like we were doing that already. I know when I was a kid, it was always brush your teeth, brush your teeth.
3: Well, it's very important. Of course, it's very, very important for go- having a good oral hygiene. But there are other aspects as well. You know, the, the kids nowadays are so much involved with the computer and with their, um, you know, um, cell phones. And they get so involved that they forget about how their hygiene is and how their diet is. And unfortunately, they are not so cooperative. And um, that that's one of the reasons. They are in front of the computer and they just constantly um, uh, start to have candies, um, chips, and stuff that sticks to their teeth and causes all of these cavities.
2: Can you make any kind of a direct correlation between the pandemic and this sort of uh, epidemic of young kids with bad teeth?
3: Honestly, that that is, to me, in my opinion, that's the very uh, first reason that this is happening. Is Ever since pandemic, these kids are in front of the computer, either in Zoom for going to school or playing computer games. And they are not as much as um, they used to be involved to go out and play outside or using the you know going to a park or anything if they're stressed out with with uh what is going on and all they do eat that that eat stuff that is not good for their teeth which mostly is sugary stuff a lot of um, drinking coffees and all those sweet drinks that they buy from outside and they just don't they, they don't care about their health anymore, they don't brush, they don't floss, and this is what happens.
1: Uh, aside from all that sugar being bad for their health down the road, uh, what kind of effects can happen to these kids later down the road in life just because of the bad teeth alone?
3: Well, you know, dental neglect in teens can spill over into adulthood and create more health problems as they age, like diabetes. You know diabetes is an inflammatory disease. diabetes is um is not just caused by the sugar, it's also caused by the bacteria that is inside the mouth and causes gum disease.
2: If you think the pandemic had uh, maybe an instrumental role to play, is it also showing up in adults? Are they who also of course went through the pandemic, are they showing up with worse teeth than before?
3: Amazing amazing i used to see a lot of patients that they would come for just um every three to six months for their cleaning checkup and once in a blue moon you would see one cavity here and there ever since pandemic i would say probably a year after pandemic when people were uh, removing their their mask and now they had to come out you would see so many adults especially Late teens and adults that now they were afraid of removing their mask and when they would remove it, you will see a disaster in their mouth because they were hiding it. They were hiding behind their mask. Now it's time to come out and now they are realizing how much of damage have uh, been caused.
2: That's that's probably one good reason why maybe they should continue to wear masks. Mask. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Masking this is a good idea. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Manaz Rashti, talking about uh, kids in California have very bad teeth eating uh, too much sugar.
2: And later in the show, we will talk politics and a lot more with our final guest. He's a very polarizing figure who has plenty to say about what's happening in Washington, D.C. and beyond. And he's also going to be talking about witches. Witches. Yeah. Well, now. Now, that's an odd combo, I know, politics and witches. All right. But somehow, somehow, he has managed to do this. Right. So we'll figure that out with him.
1: I can't wait. Uh, right now, though, Israel says it is expanding its ground invasion of Gaza. This comes as the U.S. launched airstrikes against targets in Syria in retaliation, to drone and missile attacks against U.S. bases in the region. Now, with the possibility of fighting expanding to more areas of the Middle East, President Biden is in a very tough position right now. Uh, Alison McManus is Senior Director for National Security and International Policy with the Center for American Progress. Thanks for uh, joining us today.
4: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So uh, laid out for us the danger here. I I think it's obvious to a lot of people that expanding this war may have been uh, something that Hamas wants. And this will be seen as an expansion of this greater conflict, even though it involves other actors and other players in the game.
4: Well, I think where we're at right now, um, as you mentioned, the Israeli defense forces have announced today that they will be expanding their ground operations in Gaza. This is something that's been uh, anticipated and actually something that the Biden administration had been trying to discourage or at least to put off for a while in order to address the extremely urgent humanitarian situation right now in Gaza. Um, there's two over 2 million Gazans right now who have been out without regular access to fuel, safe drinking water, medical supplies, food, um, and and been living amidst what the New York Times called some of the most intense bombardment of this century. Let me ask so,
2: you, but let me ask you this, Alison, because uh, you mentioned just in passing that uh, President Biden had asked the Israelis to kind of hold off for a while. Uh, I guess it depends on what the definition of a while is, right? Uh, Because it appears as if Israel is now intensifying its uh, ground activities in Gaza. I'm guessing that's not exactly what the White House had in mind. So is this basically telling the White House to mind its own business?
4: I think that the Israelis, I mean, the Biden administration has been clear in its support for Israel and how Israel will respond to Hamas the biden administration had also asked the israelis um again to postpone this ground invasion israel the israelis clearly don't see that as being uh in their interest so i think israel here is you know acting in its its what it views as its own national interest i don't know that that should be interpreted as um you know a rejection of 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 biden's attempts to to try to get them to.
2: Well, but how, 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 could, but, but how could it be interpreted any other way if, if the White House says, hold off because we're trying to work a diplomatic deal uh, because of the hostages and so it doesn't expand all over the Middle East, this conflict, and they go ahead and they start their their more intense incursion. How could it be interpreted as as anything else than a snub?
4: I guess I should re reword that. I don't know that the Biden that the the, and the U.S. position is what's driving how the Israelis are thinking. I think that Israel, um, reeling from the October seventh attacks, wants to show strength, and I think that this is what this this ground invasion is about. It's about going after Hamas in a way that is um, with a, a real show of force. So I just think that for Israel right now, that's their number one goal, and so you know the U.S. requests are unfortunately i would say not their you know the dri- the driving force in how they're making these cal- uh, calculations
1: there's a, the other danger here too is that uh, hamas in carrying out this absolutely utterly horrific attack on october 7th was designed to engender a response as as all terrorism is uh, does and Israel will respond as expected. They will go in and level the area, it's expected, uh, and create even further anger in the overall Arab world, which some argue that's what Osama bin Laden did for years with the United States in, in being behind the attacks on the USS Cole and trying to draw the United States into a conflict in the, in the region, which he finally succeeded in doing on uh, 9-11. Uh, Hamas doing the same thing. Uh, Someone, uh, and I wish I could recall who, someone who knows a lot about this business, said that what Hamas wants is for Israelis to kill Palestinians. And they are seemingly to give them what they want. Isn't that also a danger for the United States with its official position of supporting Israel? If Israel does so much and over responds, if one can, that world opinion turns against them, that's going to hurt the United States standing in the world too, wouldn't it?
4: Well, I want to go back I want to go back first to to how you opened there because I think while perhaps it's an expected response it it's not a predetermined response that Israel, you know, would respond with collective punishment um in the way that that it has. And so I I do think that you know what you're getting at is there are um you know Israel does have some you know ability to control the way that it responds um and and so while obviously the 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 heinousness of the attacks um the scale of the attacks on October 7th demands justice that justice doesn't have to come at the expense of millions of of Palestinians so while that may be you know i don't know i'm not in the heads of the the hamas leadership maybe that was their you know intention is to stir this up israel absolutely has you know the ability to determine how it responds um to the question of you know where the the us stands and and how this reflects the us standing again i think that you know the biden administration came out in support of israel's right to defense again you know which is the the after the the brutal attacks you know is is the um appropriate message i mean israel needs to be able to to defend its citizens um and to deliver just you know bring bring perpetrators to account i think then what we're seeing now is more uh of an encouragement of response that's in line with international law um that allows the hostages to be brought home we've seen more pressure for mm. humanitarian assistance to be delivered right. more pressure right. for fuel to be delivered um but it's not an uncomplicated situation for the Biden administration as Israel, you know, continues. uh, We're going to interrupt
2: only because we're going to run out of time. And you're right. It is a very complicated situation (laughs) that it's probably the understatement of the day. (laughs) But It's very complicated.
1: You're right. But but thank you so much. Allison a Senior Director for National Security and International Policy with the Center for American Progress.
2: You're listening to, well, the very last (laughs) KNX in depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman.
1: Now, since In-Depth is uh, going out, we are going out big with a big guest. You definitely know who he is, love him, or hate him. He has dominated cable news for years.
2: Bill Bill O'Reilly, it is, I don't know, maybe it's a dubious distinction that you are our <laughs> very last guest on our very last In-Depth.
5: <laughs> I think it's fate. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's fate. You know, we'll miss you guys. Um, SoCal is... I um, gonna be the lesser um, I like the uh, in-depth radio format uh, people who listen to radio are serious consumers of information um, but you know everything changes and I'm sure yeah. you two guys will be uh, will be better off it certainly happened to me when I left Fox Um I am so much better off now in my life by running my own corporations, my own news service on BillOReilly.com. I don't answer to anybody. And, you know, we built a franchise now that is extremely lucrative and powerful. And um, that's something like that's going to happen to you guys. You know, if you're good people, uh, the karma kicks in.
2: Well, I, I, I really am. I'm not the kind who usually blushes, but I'm actually blushing a little bit. Thank you so much, Bill, for the very kind words. But
5: no, listen, I mean, and I'm not saying it in any kind of maudlin way. No, 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 Professional, no. Professionals are professionals, and you know, when you lose a program that that brings solid information to uh, Southern California, that you know, you got to just. But you guys will find other uh, forums. I know you will.
2: Well, you're here, though, thank you again, uh, to talk about a new book. It's called Killing the Witches, the Horror of Salem... Massachusetts, which dives into the uh, notorious Salem Witch Trials back in the 1690s, but uh, knowing you and and uh, your your various uh, views on politics in the world, uh, obviously this book is more than just about the Salem Witch Trials. You're trying to make some connection to the present, right?
5: Absolutely. All our books are that way. Right. So this is the 13th Killing Book, the most successful nonfiction book series in the world. And it's stunning when I think about it. You know, I'm going, whoa. When I was uh, a little urchin, the nuns used to look at me and go, William, are you ever going to read a book? (laughs) Well, I hope somewhere those nuns now know uh, that we've sold 20 million books.
3: Um,
5: So Killing the Witches is about uh, this horror of accusation can lead to death. 20 people murdered in Salem, 1692, because little girls, literally, Pointed at them and said they are witches. They are agents of the devil. They came to me in the middle of the night and did blah 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 blah. And two weeks later, they had ropes around their neck. Hundreds put in jail on those accusations. Today, the witch hunt is back, and it's cancel culture. And we have at the uh, last third of the book um, a bunch of uh, reporting of normal people, not famous people, whose lives totally destroyed by unfounded accusations, because the press now goes along with the cancel culture. There's no, well, maybe uh, we should give the presumption of innocence. You know, where's the evidence? That kind of thing. Forget it. The lurid headline wins. And that's another reason that, you know, X is, when I go to Southern California, Listen, you know, you guys don't buy into that so much, Um, but mostly media does. So the horror of Salem, Massachusetts is the mass murder that took place there and the other lives that were destroyed. But the horror has extended to the U.S.A. in 2023 because the same thing's going on.
1: Well, Bill, let me let me since you bring that up, let me let me ask you. uh, uh and point something out here. Uh, it's not, you know, not always just the press, and I wonder if you were also making this point. It can also be people in power, people who have positions of power, say in politics, who relentlessly attack someone else or another group of people with all these accusations of terrible, terrible things, one can imagine the QAnon conspiracy theories about uh, their their eating children, etc., much like these young women were accused of doing uh, that led to the Salem witch trials and the deaths of innocent people. And in today's case, you've got people in power saying things like that that leads to threats against vulnerable populations, uh, uh, innocent bystanders in the political process until they are harmed or threatened or in some cases even killed. Is that also as big of a problem as the uh, press buying into what you call cancel culture?
5: Well, it's a problem because people don't know about it. So the cancel culture started 10 years ago, approximately, and it was generated by the far left progressive movement, uh, which took the suggestion out of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals book. And I'm not going to get into that book, but it's a primer for destroy your enemies. Saul Saul was not a big detente guy. He didn't want a lot of robust debate. He wanted to destroy people who disagreed with his socialistic view of the world. And so that that took deep root in the progressive movement, and then little by little uh, it was accepted. Now the other thing is what you're seeing today uh with the anti-semitism israel stuff so you've got a bunch of kooks who have no idea no blanket idea uh what's going on in gaza and israel and i know because i wrote killing the killers and i think you guys and i talked about this uh, two books back yeah so i mean these people hamas they want to kill jews and they don't want Two party, two state solution, or they don't want to. They don't want any of that. They don't want legitimate governance. They want to kill Jews. That's right. what the Nazis wanted to do.
1: But I did want to ask you about your book series. You know, you, you've explained uh, how popular it is. Uh, you've delved into some very interesting topics. So my question to you is: uh, How long is this killing kick going to continue? Who do you plan to kill next?
5: Well, next September we're going to do uh, a different series. Uh, the book is called "Confronting the Presidents," and we're putting it out in mid-September, 24, the run-up to the election in November, and that book is going to tell you who these people actually were that ran the country from Washington to Biden.
1: And and what will be what will we be most surprised by?
5: The opening line in "Confronting the Presidents" is. George Washington's mother hates him. Really? <laughs> uh, you guys didn't know that? No, <laughs> no I did no. not know that. You didn't know that Washington's <laughs> mother didn't like him? No, For, I mean you see? F- from what From what? Yeah,
2: but from what age on? I mean, from an infant or when he got older? When did she start hating
5: no, him? oh it happened because uh, Washington's father, when he died, left the estate to him, not his mother. Oh,
2: well, that they, makes sense. They yeah. didn't teach that in school. Yeah, no, no stories we didn't get told. Every
5: single one of these uh, presidents had stuff that nobody's ever heard of. And that is the key to the whole killing series. Mm. So let me give you an example on killing the witches. When we're researching, it takes about six months to research a book. Um, I find out, and I didn't know this at all, that Benjamin Franklin inserted himself after the witches were executed into the case (laughs) by visiting the top witch hunter, a man named Cotton Mather in Boston. Franklin was a young genius teenager Mather was the most powerful man in the Massachusetts Bay Colony and headed all the executions. Franklin was so uh, angered by his confrontation, and we have it because Franklin kept a diary, and we have everything that happened in that meeting, that he took that his whole life into the Constitution debate in Philadelphia. And that is why today we do not have any mention of religion in the U.S.
2: Constitution.
5: All right, Uh, Bill, thanks so much. Uh, I tell you what, if if, you can
2: hang out with us while we have our you're our last guest. So you may as well hang with us. Okay. Um, So let me have a a final note uh, on in depth since last week when it was briefly noted uh, after some eight years that KNX in depth is coming to an end today. We've had a steady stream of messages from you, our listeners, telling us how much you've enjoyed the show over the years and how much you will all miss it. I'm truly humbled and greatly appreciative of your loyalty. You will miss us, and we will miss you. In-Depth was designed to be a show about anything and everything, and I think we accomplished that. We never tried to convince you of anything. We only wanted to inform, educate, and sometimes maybe even give you a laugh. I think we succeeded. So you ask, why are we leaving? Well, I am going to be honest with you. We have always been honest with you. Many of you listened to In-Depth, but apparently... Not enough, and this is a ratings-oriented business that is just part of the deal. I do want to thank several people responsible for the program over the years. Former program director Ken Charles created the show along with yours truly. News director Julie Chen, who played an active role in helping put the show together. Alex Silverman, the current PD, for some very helpful suggestions. My original co-host, the late Ron Kilgore, followed by Chris Seedens, followed for the longest time by Mike Simpson, who just slipped into the uh, studio here, and more recently, of course, Rob Archer. And the producers, Lorraine Herman, Jonathan Service, and currently Donald Morrison, all did terrific jobs under thankless conditions at times. And all had to put up with me, because yes, I can be an ass. But I thank all, from the bottom of my heart, as well as some of the others here who filled in producing from time to time, James Tuck and David Singer among them. KNX will still be here, still doing a great job covering the news. I personally invite you to stay with us. Now, many of you have reached out and also wanted to know, what about yours truly? I'm still here, but this show has never tried to predict the future, so we will not start now. Rob, thanks so much uh, for uh, it's been a joy working with you. and uh, Karen Adams yeah. is here in the studio Mike Simpson, my old uh, listen. I was
1: down at the Bevmo as I often am. I was like, I just got to come in. And thank you for carrying like 95% of this show. Oh, Oh, absolutely. I agree with that sentiment because as I sit here, you know, I've always fancied myself serious about this business and serious about uh, not just journalism, but also radio as an entertainment medium, as well as an informing medium. And I would sit and watch Charles Feldman over here show me that I know next to nothing about interviewing important important people. Charles is a master. And I have seen many masters interview people. Charles is an absolute well, master, should be in the Hall of Fame for you, th- his th- interviewing th- th- style. Thank you, Rob, uh, for reading the script I wrote.
2: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, Bill O'Reilly, you're our last guest again. If you want to ha- have a last word, if not, we thank you again and good luck with the book.
5: No, listen, it's a legacy program. As I said, uh, So Cal, it will be the lesser because you guys aren't on the air. Um, but you're going to do... Excellent things in the future. I am confident of that. So good luck, you guys.
1: And good luck to you, Bill. our guest, uh, Bill O'Reilly, uh, with his new book, Killing the Witches, the Whore of Salem, Massachusetts. Well, uh, that will do it uh, for X In-Depth. We will not be back Monday at 1 p.m., but thank you for listening.